from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Hello lovely listeners and welcome to a very special wedding edition of Hey Kids Comics. It may have escaped your notice if you're not in this country. Although I don't think it matters if you're in Britain or not, to be honest with you, given the stuff that we've seen. It is a royal wedding this weekend. And as such, the entirety of the United Kingdom has been given a holiday. How cool is that? I'm not actually recording this on the holiday, because I'm all on my own. Michael is at school, and I just wanted to try and see what it was like to do one on my own. That sounds a bit rude. To do a podcast on my own. That sounds a bit better. I have no notes. I know what I'm going to talk about briefly, um, but it's just on the fly. How exciting is this? Um, I'm trying this, mainly because I do like certain people's podcasts, where they just kind of talk about what they want to talk about, and it's their show and their opinions, and they don't really have an agenda to it. They just sit down and do random, free-form, stream-of-consciousness episodes, which is quite exciting. My wife is here. Say hello, Angela. Hello. Say, so she may actually interject at some point, but given that she is loath to have her voice on any recording media of any kind, I wouldn't expect too much interaction, though. Even when she does join in, it's normally gestures or facial expressions. Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. So today's episode is a very special royal wedding episode in which we're not actually going to talk about royalty or weddings much at all because I don't want to. We're going to talk about Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, Superman Returns and then we're going to end it talking about my recent win on eBay, a wonderfully fantastic copy of Amazing Spider-Man 100 which I was very very excited about. What do you think of that Michael? Oh yeah, he's not here. Doing these solo things is difficult. Alright, first off, this weekend was Easter weekend, which meant that I had some free time on my hands, so I sat down and watched two Superman movies. Because, as has been established on this show before, if I absolutely have to pick favourites, it would be Superman and Spider-Man. There's kind of, maybe, a little, little tiny sliver of light in between them. And I would ultimately plot for Spider-Man being my favourite. But Superman's up there, and he's very close. I've never seen Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, uh, before. I've seen bits of it, and I know it's generally maligned by the general public, and Superman fans has been pretty damn dreadful. So uh, I slipped it into the DVD player the other night, uh, beer in hand, and watched it on my own. Um, I don't know where everyone else was that the kids had disappeared off to do something far more interesting. And um, what were you doing on Saturday, Ange, when I watched Superman? You were off doing something else, weren't you? Because it was pretty late when I put it on, wasn't it? I don't I don't remember what you were doing either. I know you were off doing something more interesting than watching Superman 4. Or you thought it was. Okay. So, the basic plot to Superman 4... Uh, and the reason that Christopher Reeve was entitled back to the role is that Superman decides that he's had enough of this. I'm not allowed to say am I? <laughs> we'll edit that. Superman has had enough of your and he's going to get involved with Earth politics despite being told in Superman the movie by his dad that you are forbidden to interfere with human history or course of development, or something like that. Marlon Brando spouts a lot of crap in that film. Uh, he decides he's going to rid the world of nuclear armament, not because of any noble, I've had enough of this, but because he gets a letter from an irritating kid who is exceptionally irritating. The plot is pretty much that, 
really. Lex Luthor decides at the same time that he's going to go into business with the Russians because he, he thinks that Superman getting rid of nuclear arms is stupid and he creates a nuclear man. Now, in teacher training, we are taught to give feedback as a feedback sandwich. Which just sounds really stupid, I know. But basically it means you do positive, negative, positive. So on the positive side, it was nice to see Christopher Reeve in Superman again, in something I hadn't seen before and didn't know all the words to. So that was quite nice. Um, He looked a bit thinner than he normally does. Maybe the producers for this low-budget effort couldn't actually afford a trainer for him, I don't know. He also looked quite tired. Um, the understanding of this film being that he signed up to do it and then they slashed the budget by 50%, meaning that he had no choice but to go on with it with a cut price special effects team. Um, so it's nice to see him again. Um, the opening is pretty good. Um, he's back in Smallville. His mum's apparently died, so he's selling the farm. But Clark, being Clark, he refuses to sell the farm to any old fool and he wants to sell it to a farmer, although the real estate developer basically just wants to destroy the Kent farm and sell the land. There's a nice little bit where Clark hits a baseball out of the field and it flies straight into space, which is quite good. So those bits are quite cool. Uh, Superman saves Lois from crashing on a subway train, which is also not bad. It's only when Nuclear Man shows up that the special effects go out the window. The plot stops making any sense when suddenly they're flying people into outer space without the benefits of spacesuits. Superman gains another superpower, in this case rebuild the Great Wall of China vision to go along with point at people and I can levitate them superpowers from Superman 2 and the ridiculous thing where he just takes his S off and throws it at people, also from Superman 2. Now the producers have tried to explain this as saying that different Kryptonians may have different superpowers and maybe Superman can do stuff that we've never seen him do which is okay but it just seems a bit stupid Uh, and on the whole it's a kind of ignominious end to Christopher Reeve's reign as the Man of Steel Um, ending back on positives there's a good knockdown drag out faked fight between Superman and Nuclear Man which is kind of like what you see in the comics taking place all over the world, but the budget really doesn't lend itself to doing it justice. Um, And Superman just seems to get beaten up an awful lot before finally coming through at the end, which, you know, I didn't buy at all. Uh, There's a whole subplot about the Daily Planet being taken over by other people. Jackie Cooper doesn't really have much to do. Mark Kidder doesn't have much to do. And Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen has absolutely nothing to do. But there's a good bit in the middle where Superman and Lois and Clark and Lacey go on a double date. That's quite funny. And there's a scene at the gym where a jock tries to show Clark how to lift weights and Clark just throws them at him. It's always funny seeing Clark get the upper hand in situations like that. But on the whole... It's quite disappointing. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. It couldn't be as bad as everyone says it is, but it wasn't terrible. Um, To make up for that, though, I decided to watch Superman Returns again. I've got no notes for this, so I'm just rambling at the mouth. You may have noticed. Um, I like Superman Returns. I seem to be in a distinct minority, though, uh, but there seems to be a bit of a revisionist history going on with Superman Returns, in that people are now saying it didn't review well at the time that it came out and everyone's disappointed with the box office um i looked this up uh it got very good reviews when it came out not least from empire magazine and in terms of money i think it made 400 million now i don't know where we live in a world where 400 million is considered not making enough money or was it 300 million and warner brothers wanted it to make 400 million it's something like that either way Uh, I I wouldn't consider that a flop, to be honest with you. Um, I do believe that there is some money has been folded into the budget for Superman Returns from the previous versions of the Superman films that didn't get made, like the abomination that would have been the Nicolas Cage Tim Burton version. Uh, Tim Burton couldn't even do Batman properly. And he, he, you know, for what he did to Planet of the Apes, he should be forced to watch Australian soap operas with his eyes pinned open. So I, for one, am glad that never happened. Superman Returns, I'm a staunch defender of, to be honest with you. I think it's uh, a noble failure. 
and I would rather have a noble failure that's trying to do something different within the genre that it's working than something that's just a paint-by-numbers sequel that's okay. It's like Star Trek The Motion Picture, and it gets a lot of flack, but I quite like it for trying to be different. Internet and comic book fandom just seem to rip one of Superman Returns because Brian Singer followed the continuity of the other films but then they also kick off when somebody comes in and just does a simple reboot which is what's happening with the new Spider-Man movies so you can't win I liked that Singer decided to follow the continuity of the previous movies even when we went watching it at the cinema you said I'm just addressing Angela here that the Fortress of Solitude was oh it's the crystal one I think is what you said. You were quite surprised that you probably don't even remember this. Because it is five years ago that that film came out. But at the cinema, you were quite surprised that they'd used the fortress from the other films. She's just looking at me blankly. And even today, when I was sat down and watching the deleted scenes, uh, there's a shot um, from the film that was deleted of Clark in his bedroom, and he's got photos all over his room and the photos are stills from Superman the movie with Glenn Ford as Park Kent Uh, and ultimately this leads to one of the problems that I have with the film it is following a kind of nebulous continuity with the other one so Glenn Ford was Park Kent Marlon Brando was Jor-El but he's got a different mum in Eve Marie Saint so what they've had to do is change the picture so it's not the actress which had, was it Phyllis Thaxter? I can't remember. From the original movie. So there's this kind of nebulous continuity thing going on. The main problem I have with Superman Returns isn't the child. I have no problem with Lois having a child. The point of the film is that people change and grow and moving on. And how has the world moved on without Superman when Superman has resolutely stayed the same? Superman Returns made 391 million, according to my wife. Is that American box office? Worldwide box office. So, worldwide box office, 391 million. Warner Brothers didn't consider that a success. Now, I did read just the other day, I think it was either Iron Man or Iron Man 2 made 620 million worldwide. So, in that respect, I can actually see why Warners were disappointed with that. Because, let's face it, he's Superman. Everybody knows who Superman is. Um, there's a general melancholic tone to the film, which I quite like. He's, he's still Superman, he still does what he has to do, but there's bits at the beginning where he's doubting himself, and I don't mind that. I don't like emo Superman from Smallville. I don't like turning Clark into Peter Parker, because that's not who he is. But I don't mind there being scenes where he's on his own with his mum like at the beginning of this movie, where he's kind of doubting his place in the world now that he's been gone for five years. I don't mind the kid, as I've just said, although there's no way you can make the maths of this work up. If he's been gone for five years, that would mean that he either left straight after Lois sliding on the super pole, if you will. (laughs) I'm just getting evil looks from the missus. Um, which was a bit irresponsible of him, and I can see why she's a bit miffed with him. But that would mean that the child would be no more than four, just over four years old. Um, There's no way in hell the kid in this film is only four years old. He's at least seven or eight. So that doesn't match up. It also doesn't match up with either of the two different versions of Superman 2. If you've only ever seen the theatrical version of Superman 2, where he gives her a kiss at the end and forgets that everything's ever gone on, this means that Lois doesn't know how she got pregnant, which is just wrong. Uh, If you're going off the other version of Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, where he turns time back again, this means that they never actually made with the monkey love. Do they have monkeys on Krypton? Yes, they do, because they have Beppo the super monkey, don't they? Yes. So, that it doesn't follow, really. But that's not... I don't really mind that. The, um, there's lots of setup in Superman Returns as well for the sequel that they never got to make. There's the fact that new Krypton is now floating around in orbit around Jupiter, I think it says in one of the deleted scenes. There's a line from Mark Kent that even though he knows now that Krypton is gone, which he knew originally, that was a bit stupid, um, there's no evidence that there aren't other Kryptonians out there. And obviously, what was going to happen with the child? 
whose name I've temporarily forgot. Yeah, it doesn't matter, he'll come back to me. So there was lots of setup there for the movie that they never got to make because Superman Returns was considered a disappointment. All told, I like Superman Returns. Um, I like that there's lots of cool stuff in there that we've never seen Superman do before. The, the brilliant scene where he's rescuing the plane at the beginning is fantastic. Um, I love that Perry asks how they're going to get that plane out of the stadium. I always assumed that after everyone was rescued, Superman would just go back and lift it out for them. That would be what I would have expected him to do. There's the brilliant bit where all the glass shatters in Metropolis and he turns over on his back and fries all the glass with his heat vision, which is just fantastic. The scene where he lifts the boat out of the water when um, Lois and the child are on the boat that's sinking is great. And I love the bit where he goes into the sun to power himself up. Jason, thank you very much. I love the bit where he goes into the sun, powers himself up, and then pushes the Kryptonian planet out into space. I think that's brilliant. There's a serious misstep in that he does spend the last ten minutes of his movie in bed, which is not really uh, a big epic finale. But on the whole, I think Superman Returns gets a bad rap, and I like it. Key to any Superman project is who they cast as Clark Kent Superman. Now, there is this reverence towards Christopher Reeve that everyone seems to have. Um, and I'm one of them. I, I think Christopher Reeve was brilliant. But I don't understand why Brandon Routh wasn't allowed to play his version of Superman. It seems to me he got shafted because he was told to play Christopher Reeve playing Superman as opposed to allowing him to play Superman himself. I thought he was really good. Um, he looked different as Clark and Superman. I like that they did go for a different hairstyle. His Clark has his hair all combed forward over his face. Um, I liked a little subtle thing, that he wears three-piece suits, which I thought was a good way of covering the fact that the new Superman suit has a raised S. Because one of the problems I originally had with it was how can he wear that under his shirt without people seeing it but if he's got a three-piece suit on people can't see it which I thought I don't know whether they thought of that but there is a lot of evidence in the film that they did actually give some thought to how Superman's powers work because there's the brilliant bit where in both cases where he lifts up New Krypton and where he lifts up the boat he's not just underneath lifting it he's actually positioning his arms so he can lift things properly. And when the Daily Planet globe falls off the top of the Daily Planet building and he catches it, the way he stands and where he positions his arms are, again, logical places for him to be able to lift and move things. So they did actually put a lot of thought into that, which I appreciated. I like the costume. I don't mind that it's got darker colours. I don't mind that at all. Um, the only thing I have a major issue with is a really tiny, small very very geeky thing that no one else probably noticed and Angela's like I know what he's going to whine about now the shirt rips in this film are terrible it's like Smallville did a more iconic shirt rip than this film managed the first one is really quick when he's running down the street to go and rescue the plane that Lois is in and you barely see the S and the second one is when he just rips the shirt open to fly up out the elevator shaft. There is no iconic shirt rip in this. Smallville did one. The first time Christopher Reeve rips, rips his shirt open in Superman and in Superman 3. A brilliant. Um, Superman 4 has the distinction of being the only time he changes in a phone booth, which I thought was quite cool. But there wasn't actually an S shirt rip in that one. And Smallville has done a great shirt rip when he first started wearing the black shirt with the the white S on it. And, the, you know, I just... You know, if you can't even get that right... I, I like the music. The music score's really good. And all told, I don't think Superman Returns is as bad as everyone says it is. That's just my opinion. Do you have any opinion on Superman 4? Watch it. Superman Returns? Do you even remember watching Superman Returns? Vaguely. Vaguely at the cinema. That was it. Uh, you know, sometimes I miss Michael. Anyway, we're going to take a short break and plug somebody else's podcast because this is free and you don't pay anything, so thus you have to endure adverts. And then we'll be right back. I like Kevin Spacey. 
Oh, there you go. Just before we went to a commercial break, she liked Kevin. Oh, yeah, well, we didn't talk about Kevin Spacey. He's like Luther, did we? I liked Kevin Spacey. I thought he was a lot more bitter and evil and twisted than Gene Hackman was. But I never had a problem with Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was comic relief. No, he wasn't. Otis was comic relief. No, Gene Hackman was. No, he wasn't. Lex was Lex funny. Was evil. Yes, but he was evil and funny. His plan was to nuke half of California. How is that not evil? And there was no way he was ever going to succeed. And you never think that he will. Why? I totally bought. You believe that Kevin Spacey could pull that off. Well, well, also Kevin Spacey does pull off depowering him and kicking the crap out of him. Which I didn't mention actually. I thought that was really disturbing. The bit where the three thugs... And Lex kicking the crap out of Superman on New Krypton was really difficult to watch. Um, There was a part of me that did actually want him to stand up and punch one of them. Just to show he does have a bit of fight in him when he's not got his superpowers. But, that was a bit... What's his name with that? That was a bit... Ooh, bit rough. Anyway, we have delayed our commercial break through our waffling. So anyway, here's a promo for another podcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. Right, we're back. Did you enjoy that promo for another fine podcast? Um, the second part of my solo show, which I'm very, very excited about but very nervous, is a recent eBay purchase. Were for less than 20 of your Earth pounds. Angela's rolling her eyes at this. I got myself um, a very fine, I wouldn't say mint, copy of Amazing Spider-Man 100. How cool is that? Um, I was very excited about this because it was buy it now. It wasn't even a bid. I have no idea why he decided to put this issue on for such a low price. Because I know some people are now going, 18 quid for a comic! And those people are absolutely right. Because I hate paying money for things. I hate paying money for anything. But I specifically hate paying for overpriced comic books, which is why my favourite things at the comic marts in Manchester and stuff are the 50p bins. I love 50p bins. And there's loads of good stuff in the 50p bins at the minute. I've picked up the entire Justice League run from the 80s and most of the Flash from the 90s, the, the Mark Wade stuff for, less, for the 50p bins. It's brilliant. Uh, But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Amazing Spider-Man 100, which holds the distinction of being the most expensive comic I have ever bought at this moment. The previous record was back when I was about 14 or 15, which will have been in about 1986? 87? 87? When was I born? 72? Yes, 1987 will have been when I was 15. I paid... Five whole pounds, which will have been a lot of money in 1987, for a copy of New Teen Titans number one, which was a hot book at the time. You can now pick that up in the 50p bin as well, unfortunately. But I have every expectation that Amazing Spider-Man 100 will will not go down that path. So when I saw it was 18 quid uh, for buy it now, I had to do some quick juggling with the money because we were a couple of days away from payday and seeing if I could afford it. And I consulted with my lovely wife. Hello. Yes, I did. I actually said to you, can I afford to buy this? And you were all like, oh, well, you've just said we can't have any money for this, but now you're going to buy a comic. And she's absolutely right, to be fair. 
but I ignored her and bought it anyway. <laughs> I ended up paying for it in other ways, let me tell you. Owner of the Wii now. Because I... Oh, such a guilt trip because I bought this. A lot of it, to be fair... Well, a lot of it, to be fair, wasn't you. A lot of it was I felt guilty for spending this much on a comic. But, you know, it's Amazing Spider-Man 100. So it arrived. Um, it wasn't extremely well-packed in its envelope. I was quite surprised about that. I thought it would be best packed. But the issue itself has a tiny rip in the bottom left-hand corner. You know, on the spine, that's ripped. Um, but the rest of it is pretty damn good, so I don't know why it was by it now. I've currently got it in front of me in my little bag and board. One of the few comics I have in bags and boards. I don't do any of that, do I? I don't bother with any of that. I have a couple bagged and boarded, like ones that at some point when I die you will be able to sell for a decent wedge like Amazing Spider-Man 200 and Amazing Spider-Man 300 and so on and so forth. Why wait? Well, exactly. Why wait till I'm dead? Kill me now and sell my comic root collection and you'd be minted, wouldn't you? Oh, dear me. Um, Because my goal is to have every issue of Amazing Spider-Man from issue 200 upwards and I'm only about 15 issues away from completing that goal. You don't care, do you? Okay, so Amazing Spider-Man 100, you, you need to see, so the only problem with audio podcasts, you can't see how gingerly I'm touching this, it's like I'm stroking the hair of my firstborn child. <laughs> you didn't need to with that. that this, is, this is how, how what's it this is. So, the cover is a fantastic piece of John Romita Senior Genius, in which um, the left-hand corner still has the little corner box that Marvel Comics used to have. It's still a Steve Ditko Spider-Man, which I like, 100 issues later. Um, It cost 15 cents in America when this came out. It's cover dated September. I don't know the year yet because I've not opened it, but I would imagine it's around 1970, 1971, but I'll check that in a minute. The cover is full colour shot of Spider-Man crawling um, with the spider or the man in the title and at last the great long awaited 100th anniversary issue with the wildest shock ending of all time banner across the bottom but what makes it cool is that the back of it is negative so the, the cover is black with white figures on it now I'm probably going to embarrass myself here but I'm going to try and name everybody who is on this cover So starting in the top left-hand corner underneath Spidey's leg, just to the right of the box, we've got the Scorpion. I believe that that's Norman Osborn, then the Kingpin, then the Rhino, then the Molten Man, then J. Jonah Jameson, then the Vulture. Doctor Doom, I don't know why Doctor Doom's on the cover of this, because I think as far as I know he's only ever fought Spider-Man once at this point. Coming round under Spidey's arm then, we've got Captain George Stacy, Robbie Robertson, Gwen Stacy, Craven the Hunter, The Lizard, Doctor Octopus, Flash Thompson, Mary Jane Watson, Frederick Foswell, who died 50 odd issues ago at this point, um, The Prowler, Betty Brandt, Aunt May, Aunt Anna Watson, uh, Uncle Ben, The Green Goblin, Harry Osborn, uh, obscured by the banner, I think, is just a guy named Joe, the Beetle, the Shocker, the Terrible Tinkerer, the Ringmaster, Mysterio, the Chameleon, Robbie Robertson's son, Randy, and some dude I don't know! There's a bloke on here, I don't know. He's right in the right-hand side, underneath Doctor Doom, and he's got spectacles and a moustache and a bit of a a goatee beard going on. But there's a guy on the cover I don't know. I'm quite shocked by that. Um, He looks vaguely familiar. I think he's one of the activists who gets Peter involved in campus activism at some point. So we're now going to open this issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, my laptop's just gone into a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. How almost appropriate is that? given that that's where Gwen Stacy died, or the George Washington Bridge, something like that. So I'm opening the issue. Did you hear that? Did you hear that Mylar bag? Just open. And removing the comic gingerly and placing it on the table in front of me. (laughs) I have actually opened this and read this. Uh, It's approved by the Comics Code Authority. I think in the interest of full disclosure, I have to say this is not 
the earliest issue of Amazing Spider-Man I own. Did we establish I had three before this? I've got I've got ninety seven, eighty something, eighty eight I think, and I may have one before that. They're not in very good condition though, are they? No. They're in, they're quite crap condition, really, aren't they? To be honest. But they're early issues of the Amazing Spider-Man that I own. So gingerly turning the page of this magnificently wonderful comic book, we have a look at the Indicia, or Indicia, or however the hell you pronounce that, to establish that it was published September 1971. Uh, well, that's the cover date, so it will come out three months before that. So around July, June, July 1971. So a full year before I was born. The first page is one of those great pages of adverts for toys that you used to get in comics, you know, when kids read comics, uh, where you could buy a midget spy camera, an automatic hypnotising record, a hypnotic whirling coin, and x-ray glasses. <laughs> oh, I do wonder if those x-ray glasses work. I wonder if I send off my money to these people. I wonder if they're still in Detroit, Michigan. Almost 40 years later. You think? No, I don't suspect that they are. What else is there in this? Ugly blackheads out in seconds. You can eliminate pimples and be good looking, apparently. Uh, a leather peace ring. A, a vault. A Las Vegas replica of um, a slot machine that's not for gambling purposes. And some flesh-eating plants. <laughs> That's fantastic. I always used to look at these when I was a kid, and I never actually thought they were real. I don't know why I thought that, but because you couldn't buy any of this crap over here. It was all American advert. I think maybe you could get extra specs when you went in joke shops and stuff. You could buy police handcuffs, Ange. Handcuffs? Wait. Just saying. I did have some handcuffs as a kid. I had a Starsky and Hutch set, which came with the police gun and handcuffs. Little plastic things they were, but the gun was proper metal. So nowadays you wouldn't be allowed that, would you? Uh, the first page kicks off, this is it, Spidey's 100th issue, entitled The Spider or the Man. Now, we have my first problem with this story. The first credit says, created and written by Stan Lee. Now, nobody, nobody pays more reverence to the mighty Stan Lee than me. But, this should really say, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. It shouldn't it. Let's be brutally honest. Now, I know Stan's theory on this is that he created the character, and then he gave the character to two artists, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, to come up with the design of the character but for me 50% of Spider-Man is the design what he looks like so Stan may have come up with the idea but if he'd gone with the Jack Kirby illustration then you're looking at a completely different Spider-Man and not the one we all know and love today that has made millions and millions of dollars thanks to Sam Raimi's movies so mm, I'm not sure about that Stan I don't really agree with that that should really say created by Stan and Steve it's illustrated by Gil Kane who I love Gil Kane. Gil Kane's art, he's probably more famous for his work he did on Green Lantern prior to this, but Gil Kane's art at the time looks so unlike anybody else's that in the 80s, uh, the only DC books I really read in the 80s, Tangent Alert, was I was reading the Star Trek book they were publishing, The New Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez, and Batman and Detective Comics, which at the time were brilliant. Don Newton and Alfredo L. Kaler were doing the art on Batman. That's fantastic. If you don't know any of that stuff, go out and buy it. And Gene Colon was doing Detective Comics. And I'd pick Superman up every now and again when I had some money, because I liked the character, but... Uh, and I mean no disrespect when I say this. I always thought the art looked a bit stiff. Kurt Swan's Superman. Um, I have since learned that he is revered as one of the greatest Superman artists of all time. And okay, fine, I'm down with that. But Gil Kane was doing action comics. And his art in action comics was such a slap in the face compared to what Kurt Swan was doing in Superman that I couldn't help but pick it up. And um, he's almost unrecognisable at that point from the Gil Kane who worked on Spider-Man here, but I love Gil Kane's stuff. It's angular and strange looking, 
and not at all what you would expect from a DC book. I always thought Gil Kane looked a lot more at home at Marvel, but that'd just be me. It's embellished by Frank Gaia and lettered by Artie Simek. Um, the story begins with a wonderful splash page of Spider-Man sailing over New York, where he's been combing the city for hours. Looks like there's no work for Spider-Man tonight. Does he not have anything else to do other than look for trouble? To be honest with you, but never mind. Anyway, within two pages, of course, he's found trouble because it wouldn't be much of an issue if he didn't. Um, he's found a couple of gunmen racing out of the bank, so he swoops down doing his spider stuff and uh, he kicks a um, living bells out of a couple of them, um, stops one of them who tries to get away in a car by webbing it up, and catches him as well. They're pretty much no match for Spider Man. Um, it's typically Stan Lee in that not a panel goes by without 400 different word balloons, which is brilliant. Spider-Man's at his spidery best, crawling over walls, web-spinning, doing all kinds of cool spider stuff, and talking to himself. He's not Spider-Man unless he talks to himself. Big downfall with the Sam Raimi movies for me. Um, and I don't mind the third one, I'll be honest with you. I seem to have unpopular opinions about films. Um, is that Spider-Man wasn't funny. And he didn't talk. And Spider-Man should be funny and should talk. Now, after catching the criminals, Spider-Man has to take off. Because it's at this point in history that he's wanted by the police. I believe at this point for the murder of George Stacey. I could be wrong on that. It's been a while since I read these issues. Um, It says that uh, Spidey says, How many punks like that will I have to gift wrap before people realise I'm not a combination of Bluebeard and Jack the Ripper? Uh, and he takes off before the police arrest him for vagrancy. Some of the art on these first two, three pages does look like it may have been touched up by John Romita. But that's just me. Uh, next page is an advert. A cool advert for a bloke whose boxes fall on him at work. And there's no future for me in that job. I need to get my high school diploma. So it's quite um, a pro-education advert, which I'm all for, being in the education industry, where he studies in his own time and gets a degree. Good. I'm very impressed. And there's a certificate here that you can cut out, and you can do courses in high school courses, college preparatory. I can't even say the word. Preparatory. Forget it. High school secretarial, high school mathematics. I could do with doing that. High school mathematics. I'm terrible at maths. High school special subjects and high school equivalency. And then there's other vocational courses in automotive computers. Can you imagine what the computer courses would have been like in 1971? That would have been brilliant. It would have been like working with the living brain from Spider-Man comics. Or, um, what's the name of the computer in Demon Seed? Isn't there a computer that comes to life that's voiced by Robert Vaughn? Or am I thinking of a different film? I may be thinking of a different film. I'm very confused normally. Uh, building, so you can do building. Business, engineering, aircraft, electronics, art and writing, accounting, secretarial chemistry, refrigeration, air conditioning, drafting and machine shop. So... I quite like that advert as well. Spider-Man swings off on the next page of the story, talking to himself as he goes, where he admits that he's just bored. And he's beginning to wonder if they're living their lives down there while he's swinging around doing nothing, while he's watching life from the sidelines. Bottom of that page, Spider-Man looks all mournful, stood on a rooftop, which is classic Spider-Man. He's decided that he's finally growing up and there's more to life than being a corny costumed clown. And because of the way he feels about Gwen Stacy, he's decided that's what he wants from life. Anyway, I wouldn't get used to feeling like you're destined to be with Gwen Stacy if I were you, Peter. He gets changed, he puts on what in his first panel is a purple jumper that becomes red for the rest of the issue, and a horrendous yellow jacket. I don't know why he wears a yellow jacket, but it was the 70s, so I'll cut him some slack. Um, He gets changed, turns into Peter Parker, and decides... He's even thinking about marrying Gwen, so he's got to give up being Spider-Man. And there's only one way to do it. Now, you think this one way to do it would be to just quit, but apparently, no. Apparently, 
Peter has been working on a project for years since he first got his spider powers where he could never be sure that his radioactive blood wouldn't become dangerous and he might need a potion to make him normal again. As far as I know, this has never been mentioned that Peter's had a potion to make him normal again. But the weird thing about this is his eyes are blue. Peter Parker doesn't have blue eyes. Peter Parker has brown eyes. So that strikes me as a bit odd. There's another two pages, um, one of which is an advert for prizes for cash, where you get sample cards, earn a dollar a box, and you can win dune buggies and bikes and stuff, which strikes me as pretty cool. Uh, But more importantly, the Mighty Marvel checklist is on this page. Released this month, Fantastic Four 114, so Spider-Man. Proteus 4! But it was Robert Vaughn's voice, so I was almost right. How cool would that be able to do a computer course in 1971 with Proteus and Robert Vaughn talks to you? <laughs> Alright. Uh, along with Amazing Spider-Man 100, Fantastic Four 114, which is now behind Spider-Man in publishing numbers, seen as they've gone back to number one. Thor 191, Avengers 91, Captain America 141, Hulk 143, Iron Man 41, Submariner 41, Daredevil 79... Amazing Adventures 8, Conan the Barbarian 9, Sergeant Fury 91, and Creatures on the Loose 13. Um, and then they, they list a couple of other books, like reprint titles, but there's the Ringo Kid and Kid Colt and stuff in there. And still on sale, some issues of Cult the Conqueror and Western Gunfighter. Still being published today, of that lot, mainly the superhero titles. The only one of them that is currently following the original numbering listed here is Spider-Man and Captain America. Everything else has been rebooted back to number one, which I think is a shame. Anyway, Peter takes his potion, takes drugs and guy, and everything goes spinny, and he falls down and collapses. And the rest of the issue takes place in his head. So he hallucinates about Aunt May, who looks a lot younger when Gil Kane draws her. And he hallucinates about J. Jonah Jameson, who hates Spider-Man, and Betty Brandt and Ned Leeds, and the death of George Stacy, and it's Gwen that he truly loves, not Murray Jane. Pay attention to that, people. Uh, Why must everything I touch end in tragedy? It's perfect, Spider-Man. It's all, oh, woe is me, and self-pitying, and a bit whiny, and the template for every superhero that would ever follow. Because they've even done this now to Clark Kent, made him whiny and emo. The vulture attacks him in his head. Uh, But the next page is much better. The next page is another advert. Advert, yes. Not an advert. A advert. In which Arnold Schwarzenegger... It's time now to turn this mush into muscles. Promotes hell-bent for leather and lead bracelets. It is, look. I'm showing the missus. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Apparently... Are you man enough to wear these girly-looking Wonder Woman bracelets that Arnie's got on his arm? Slip on these electrifying new hell-bent-for-leather-and-lead strong-arm bracelets and instantly, in a second, as opposed to the instantly that isn't in a second, your arms start oozing 100% more power. Your body takes on the appearance of ferocious strength, striking fear and terror into those who think of attacking you. (laughs) Your manhood and virility come alive. This is the best advert in the book! Oh, it comes across swiftly to women. You want to come across women swiftly? God, these bracelets will make you do it! <laughs> Instantly sense your sexual power, and because of expert craftsmanship, these genuine leather gold toned lead weights have, with the word power spelled on each of them, and the latest in mod fashions, go well with your clothes, turning them into vigorous looking styles. Okay, let's get a woman's opinion on this. Does Arnie wearing those girly-looking bracelets make him ooze virility and sex appeal? (laughs) Well, I think that advert failed. Uh, It's $15 for two, or $8 for one. Oh, dear me. The story continues on page 14 with Spidey fighting the vulture, and then the vulture just disappears. No, he doesn't. He beats him up. Because that's how problems are solved in superhero comics. And then the lizard shows up. And they have another fight. And Spider-Man questions his sanity. Why would somebody normal live a like like this? Uh, And he beats the lizard. 
by just webbing up his face and just leaving him there. I do wonder if he knows that this isn't a dream because there's a haunting voice that follows him wherever he goes. A mocking voice that turns into the green goblin. However, the next page is another chance for high school dropouts to get a diploma. Now you can finish your diplomas at home, it says here, which is quite cool. We're all for encouraging people to go back to education. Uh, the story continues on the next page with Spidey kicking the crap out of the Green Goblin. Where he taunts him that he's hated and despised by the public. You never made it and you never will. Um, he knocks the Green Goblin out, but just leaves him floating around New York on his Goblin Glider. <laughs> oh dear. The colouring in this book is god awful. The colour of the sky on page 16 is fine because it's blue. You know, the sky being blue and all most of the time. But at various points during the story, it will turn orange, light yellow, dark yellow, and at some point pink. Which in DC Comics means there's a crisis coming along, I suppose. But here, the sky just turns yellow for no reason. There's another advert for a Polaris nuclear submarine. Big enough for two kids. You can own your own Polaris sub. (laughs) I don't think it's a real one. It's, you know, it's just a doll. Seven feet long, and you can do what you want with it. And then you can get a high-paying job in drafting. They were all about promoting jobs, weren't they? Uh, The next page, Dr. Octopus shows up looking quite slim and not fat. Uh, And they beat each other up some more, because that's what this issue's all about. Uh, He beats Dr. Octopus and just throws him off a building, um, which is quite funny. Uh, And then the Kingpin shows up. Not dressed in his usual clothes. He's wearing an orange jumper and green pants. Whereas he normally wears a white jacket and purple pants, which he obviously gets from Bruce Banner. The next page is another couple of pages of small adverts. Um, Send for a moustache, sideburns and Van Dyke. So you can buy a false beard to make yourself look impressive. Is this for people like me who can't grow beards? (laughs) Oh dear me. And then there's lots of other adverts for stuff though. Charles Atlas is selling you the kind of body that you want. Um, He beats the kingpin up with no problem at all and leaves him on a rooftop and then he finds that the voice was actually George Stacy. Let's face it, you were thinking it was going to be Uncle Ben. But it's not. It's George Stacy who tells him that he's been given great power and he's used it for good. You have tortured yourself to try and live a normal life, but you cannot. You must accept that you are Spider-Man. This is your blessing. This is your curse. Which was appropriated for the first Spider-Man movie. Peter wakes up, remembers that the potions knocked him up and it all seems so real. And we turn the page for a big splash page of Peter Parker. The potion has backfired and he's got four extra arms! Wow, that is, quite possibly, the silliest yet coolest ending to a Marvel comic ever. Coincidentally, just last Saturday, I was channel surfing and we came across the old 90s Spider-Man show, didn't we? Unfortunately. What do you mean, unfortunately, the 90s Spider-Man show's great? Was it? Yes. (laughs) And in the episode we watched, he had four extra arms. So, anyway... Uh, It's no cop-out, we promise you, he has six arms. And next issue, it will continue. There's another advert where you can learn karate. And sell grit in your spare time. Um, I don't know what grit is. It seems to be uh, America's greatest family newspaper. 44 pages a week of news stories, sports, comics and recipes. And it's easy to sell. You make a seven cent profit on every copy. Seven cents on every issue. That's actually not bad, is it? I suppose for 1971, it's not bad at all. Turn the page, and we have indisputably irrelevant items of incontestably lasting inconsequence, which is the bullpen bulletins. This week's bullpen bulletins has Stanley Sobox, where he waffles about um, it being the 100th anniversary of the amazing Spider-Man. Uh, he thanks Martin Goodman before he thanks Steve Ditko. I don't know about that, to be honest with you, but Steve gets thanked first after that, to be honest. Uh, The Bullpen Bulletins page waffles quite a lot. Um, It talks about Barry Windsor Smith illustrating the cover for the Beatles song Come Together. Uh, 
which will appear in the second illustrated Beatles lyrics, because Barry Windsor Smith is British, obviously. And then there's just some other stuff about John Romita buying a Mercedes and Stanley being on Eyewitness News. There is the Spider's Web Letters page, which is notable for talking about the drugs issues from issues 96 and 97 and 98, where Peter's roommate Harry overdoses, and Stan published the issues despite the comic code authority saying don't publish them it's noticeable because there's a letter here from robert greenberger who would go on to work for dc comics uh in the 80s and 90s um i think he still does but i could be wrong about that the final two pages are adverts uh, an advert for um being an artist and then science kits you can buy your own electrical lab a photoelectric relay a photography lab, a light transmitter perceiver, a photomicrography camera, and various... And a weather station. Oh, I might have a weather station. And then the last page, do you need extra money? It's all about making extra money, isn't it? Seems to be the moral of the tale. Anyway, and that's it. That's the issue. That was my eBay purchase. This is our very special Royal Wedding Hey Kids comics that I did on my own and just ran off at the mouth for about an hour. Um, did you enjoy that, Ange, or did I just talk bollocks? Much fun. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I talked bollocks. Uh, we'll see you next time for another Blackest Night, because that seems to be going on forever. Bye! Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, they do it simply for fun. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. I'm so lonely. So lonely, so lonely and sad, real alone. Get no one, just me only. Sitting on my rental throne. I work weary hard and make up great plans, but nobody listens, no one understands. Seems like no one takes me seriously. And so, I'm lonely. A bit of lonely.